Hello everyone and welcome to season 2 of our Stagey Place Edinburgh Fringe specials. If this is your first time listening to this series then let me fill you in with what's in store. For every episode we release this August to coincide with the biggest arts festival in the world we have conjured up interviews with the very best emerging and established companies who are bringing their shows to Edinburgh in the hope to entertain audiences. In this first episode of our brand new season we have a mix of musicals, plays and children's shows with Billy Barrett kicking us off for this season. Billy is a co-founder of Breach Theatre and this Edinburgh is director of After the Act, a Section 28 musical, which is playing at the Traverse Theatre throughout the whole of the Fringe. Hello Billy and welcome to the Stagey Place. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. I'm very hot. It is a very hot day. We're currently recording in the middle of June in what feels like a heat wave in Bristol. So I really appreciate you coming to talk to me. We have got a fan in the room as well, but we're going to turn that on after the interview has done. Billy, we're here today to talk about After the Act, which is coming to the Traverse One for this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival, playing the whole month from the 3rd until the 27th. Billy, tell me a little bit about the history with your role as the director and the play. So the play is a verbatim musical about Section 28. Section 28 is a piece of government legislation that basically prohibited schools from what they called promoting homosexuality. So it meant that from 1988 to 2003 in the UK, schools were not allowed to talk about homosexuality in Mm. a positive light. So it was this huge landmark piece of legislation that had a massive impact on my schooling and a lot of people of my generation and a little bit older. And also people that are younger, it really left its mark, I think, on schools in terms of what teachers felt they were able to talk about for a very long time. So I, working with my company, which is called Breach, which is primarily me and Ellis Stevens, who I co-write with, we basically conducted about 40 interviews with students, teachers, activists, people that worked in local authorities, lots of people that were impacted by this legislation, whether they were unable to communicate to students about LGBT issues, whether they were unable to reach out to their teachers, or whether they were actively campaigning against it. Mm. So those stories we've kind of whittled down to about eight probably main characters who become the three line that we follow but amidst all that there's also uh, we're drawing on archival material like the debates in parliament about the legislation videos of some really kind of high profile fun protest actions that happened so I guess the narrative of it is you follow these human stories through the years as this legislation was coming into force and then the impact that it had and then it occasionally breaks out into these larger set pieces and it is of course a musical yeah so we've worked with a composer called Frew, who we've worked with before on a Christmas show a few years ago, to basically set a lot of this material to music. Uh-huh. Um, so we'd never made a musical before, no. but we were working with him to, yeah, find what the kind of hook was. We're very much playing around with like different genres of the 80s and 90s. And the idea was really about the music almost as a kind of Trojan horse mm. to sort of present people with what could sound like a very dry or definitely very kind of grim as well, subject matter, by kind of, yeah, wrapping this musical thread around it that carries you through. And obviously, when we think of musicals, we think of joy and fun and everything. So when you were conducting those 40 interviews to make this verbatim piece of theatre, did you know that you were always going to conduct these 40 interviews because you wanted to make it a musical or was there any idea of making it as a play? What was so important about this being a musical 
rather than a play about the section 28. Well, I think you've captured it with, I think the music does carry with it this fun and joy, yeah. uh, which feels really integral to, I guess, the LGBT movement. As it kind of came together and fought this legislation, there was a lot of fun and joyful protest actions, music, art, film that came out of it. So we really wanted to take hold of that and find the form for it. Bizarrely, I guess, the idea of it being a musical was there from the beginning. Yeah. So we worked with Fru on this previous show, Joan of Leeds, which was a Christmas show. And we actually started redeveloping it. The idea was that we would redevelop it to be a kind of longer year-round non-Christmas show. And the show had within it all these themes around kind of sexuality and shame. And we got about a day into it and I sort of said to the other two, I don't know if I really want to do this, but I do want to make this other show, which follows these similar themes, but is a lot more contemporary and has this kind of more political weight to it. And it didn't take much persuading, actually. Ah. I think what came out of that first Christmas show was a way of working, a working relationship, a shared interest in a set of themes. And so I think we all felt actually that last show had kind of run its course. Let's attack this much more complicated, weighty story that had a massive impact on all of our lives. And so the first bit of development on it was at the National Theatre Studio. We approached them with this idea of Section 28, Beethoven musical, and workshopped it for about a week with some brilliant performers yeah. and singers and generated probably the pieces that became the largest kind of set piece like show tunes in it yeah. the stuff that felt the most musical weirdly then we didn't do the interviews until after that ah. so it, it was sort of a bit reverse engineered where we had these larger set pieces like for example the opening of the show where these lesbian activists invade the BBC News studio. We created this brilliant, if I may say so, song that first week with Neil Espoo and some actors. And then it wasn't actually until afterwards that we interviewed those activists and we began to thread their own narrative through it. Yeah. And obviously then things shifted around. But yeah, it happened slightly back to front because I had this slightly mad idea of Section 28, verbatim musical. We managed to convince the MT to help us sort of develop it and then thought, oh God, we've got to make it. And so then we went on to the stories. Yeah, and now obviously you're here in 2023. You had a run earlier this year at the New Diorama and now it's coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. What does it feel like having this show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival at the Traverse One in 2023? I think we definitely feel like the show's got something really important to say. Yeah. It's this historical piece, but it's speaking to the present moment and the present kind of hysteria, particularly around trans rights in the media, which to us, and I think to many people that have kind of observed it, feels really reminiscent of the mm -hmm. Section 28 era. So it was important to us that the show continue to have a life. I think crucially continue to have a life outside of London. Sure. So obviously the Edinburgh Festival crowd is not a million miles away from a kind of London theatre crowd. But the idea of the Edinburgh Festival is really to build some larger touring for the piece. Yes. Yeah, it feels like a show that we think has a lot to say. And it also feels like a show that was probably too big for the new diorama space. Yeah. I mean, literally in terms of the space, it's an 80-seater. We're associate artists at New Diorama. We've made all of our shows there. We love it. Um, they've really supported the show. The show in Edinburgh is a co-production with New Diorama. Yeah. But we were always very open with them. And we sort of discussed the fact that physically it was sort of pushing at the edges of their stage. Mm. So we are working together with NDT to get it put on bigger stages because I think it sort of demands it because it's these very personal, intimate stories, but then they explode out into these larger kind of songs. And at NDT, just from a kind of logistical, acoustic point of view, 
it was too big of a space. So yeah. I'm really excited to remount it on a larger stage, discover what it is at a kind of larger scale. And also, I guess from a personal point of view, like I've been to the Edinburgh Fringe probably 12 times. Yeah. So I think I did 11, maybe this is my 12th year, I did 11 consecutive years pre-pandemic okay. where I did everything from selling tickets, stewarding shows, mm. reviewing, I wrote for the Scotsman for a couple of years, been involved with many shows of varying quality. And then the first few reach shows we took up to Edinburgh. And that's sort of how we made our name and made our contacts in terms of touring. So I'm really excited just to go back with a breach show because it's been a good four years now since we were there as a company since I went. And it's really exciting to be, yeah, I guess on one of the larger stages. Yeah. Because we've certainly done our time on smaller stages with less resource where there is really, really exciting, brilliant work happening, but where it can be a bit of a slog. And so we're, yeah, looking forward to taking up a show to Edinburgh that is in a slightly larger venue that sort of has the resource to support this show. Yes. Because it's a very technical show. It is a musical with a live band, four singers, all mic'd, there's video. We couldn't really do it in any other way. No. Yeah. And we sort of always knew that. We didn't make it thinking we'd take it to Edinburgh. We no. had this, this offer and this conversation with the Traverse. And we were sort of like, all right, yeah, if it's going to go to Edinburgh, it has to be there. Yeah. Nowhere else is going to give us the time or the support to make that happen because it's just a mad thing to do in a festival schedule. What would you like audiences to take away from After the Act after they've seen the show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year? The hope with After the Act is that it's filling people in on a really important piece of LGBT history, which not enough people know about. But we're not aiming for it to be a history lesson. The idea is that it's a lot of fun. It will connect with audiences on a real emotional and visceral level and that people might hear stories that have deliberately been sort of silenced over the years in terms of that generation and that period. But they're, they're going to have a lot of fun and feel a lot of feelings as well as learn things yeah <laughs> that's the aim I mean it's tough because it is really it is about the legislation so people have said like okay it's about section 28 what's your take on it so mm. I don't know if you've seen Blue Jean the film that's just come out a few people have told this story through a fictionalized lens of say a student and a teacher in the section 28 era that's yeah. what Blue Jean is about which is a brilliant independent film that's just come out this is not doing that this is attempting to tell the story of the legislation the political climate that led to it how it came into force the impact it had and how it was repealed and that is quite an ambitious thing to do and I think the show achieves it or attempts to achieve it through this really larger than life form and through multiple narratives that link together what we found in London is that audiences really came on that journey with us yeah and I think had a lot of fun and learned stuff and felt really moved by it and I hope that that continues in Edinburgh so what are you most looking forward to away from Breach away from After the Act what shows are you looking forward to at the Edinburgh Fringe this year having been there like you said maybe 11 consecutive years pre-pandemic I'm really excited to see some of the work that's coming up as part of the Horizon Showcase which I believe is the new version of the British Council Showcase. Okay. So in particular, Action Hero and Deborah Pearson have a show called The Talent. Huge fan of Action Hero and this piece that's particularly interesting. I'm going to go and see Figs and Wigs version of Little Women, which nice. is also part of the Horizon Showcase, which I have seen before, but yeah. I'm a huge Figs and Wigs fan, so I'll definitely be seeing that. I don't think I know of any other shows, but hopefully that's enough. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is the joy about Edinburgh Fringe, right? Because you'll be flying plenty of shows that you'll probably look at and go, ah, this is this is this might be up my alley. But also it's nice to not have a plethora of shows to go and see. You can just pick and choose from what is given to you and just enjoy obviously Edinburgh as well away from the fringe and so Billy remind us where we can watch After the Act if we're coming to see it audiences can come and see After the Act at the Traverse Theatre in Trav 1 from the 3rd to the 27th of August so up the whole run the great thing about being on at the Traverse is that the show is on at a different time every day so if you are in a show 
you will always have an opportunity where you can see it. If you're only up for a couple of days and you've already booked some stuff, you can most likely squeeze us in in between your other shows. And yeah, really hope people can make it to come see it. Yeah, well, Billy, thank you so much for joining me today on The Stage Place. Thank you. Thank you so much there to Billy Barrett for a wonderful interview and insight into After the Act, which had rave reviews from its run at the new diorama earlier this year. And if you'd like to book tickets for this Edinburgh run or for any of the shows featured in our season, you can find the ticket link in our episode notes, wherever you are streaming this episode. Right, on to the second interview in this instalment from Olivia McLeod, who returns to the Fringe after her production of Pash last year to bring Drunk Monkey to the Gilded Balloon Patahoose this year, to which Olivia has written and stars in the show. Hello, Olivia, and welcome to the Stage Place. How are you doing today? I'm really well. I've just had a two-week sort of pre-fringe break. <laughs> it was yeah. sort of a holiday. And today's been my first day of getting back into everything and sort of being like, okay, you've got a month. So I'm a bit more focused, a little bit more refreshed, which is nice. Yeah. Olivia, today we are talking about Junk Monkey, which is a play which you have written, performed and are producing. Tell me a little bit about Junk Monkey. I've just been saying how much the show sounds amazing from looking online. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind writing the piece. Thank you. So it was basically one of those ideas that just came to me as a logline. I really wanted to challenge myself. My my last play that I did was called Pasha Edinburgh Fringe last year. And it was set over the space of a week. And so I wanted to pressure myself to write something with more of a time crunch. So it was set over a day. And I always try to write close to whatever I'm experiencing in my own life, what really interests me and what I'm passionate about. What I'm passionate about at the moment is obsession. I'm quite an obsessive person. And I have a lot of friends around me as well. But also myself, I'm just like an obsessive person romantically. It was something that brought me a lot of sort of grief earlier on in my life. And I couldn't focus on things outside of my romantic life. I was like so sick of that. So I've kind of brought a character that is in the midst of that sort of like unhealthy era of her life. Yeah. And it's set every day in her life when she meets someone that she's very obsessed with. That's basically, yeah, the inspiration behind it was I was like, I want to write something I'm experiencing and I was embarrassed about and very vulnerable about and hopefully there'll be people in the audience that relate to it. Yeah and obviously you know you said that your previous production was set over a week this is set over a day and we've only got you know 60 minutes or so to relate to the character that we meet so tell us a little bit about where we find the character at the start of the story in Junk Monkey. So the show starts with her meeting this girl that she becomes obsessed with on the trains the script does flash between past and present i cheated a little bit (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah it is like the events sort of take place over the day but the very first time we meet this character is the very start of the day she meets this girl and she just has this overwhelming feeling that she's like oh my god i don't know if this experience is common for everyone i've definitely experienced it but i've had people walk into a room that i've never seen before and just had this overwhelming feeling that i need to know them and i don't know why i can never quite explain why but i just I'm completely taken by them and so I wanted to convey that through this and then this girl's at a point in her life where if she meets someone like that she's like great well I need to drop everything else in my life she has a boyfriend and she still is going to pursue this other girl very much romantically so she's morally challenged as well I'd say the idea behind it is that she's addicted to this feeling she's addicted to the feeling of falling in love she's found herself in a really unhealthy place and the thing about being addicted to something is it gets really bad you'll start to do things you're really not proud of things that don't make sense morally to anyone else 
because you just need that high, you need that feeling. So yeah, she kind of is like, oh yeah, like the boyfriend's still here, but I'm just going to pursue this girl for the day. And then it's about how she manages to do all these things. Oh, that's amazing. And obviously you've done Edinburgh Fringe before, like you say, you did it last year. You kind of know what Edinburgh audiences are after and what they engage with and what they like. So with Junk Monkey, is there a moment in the show? Is there, you know, a section of dialogue that you're really excited for Edinburgh audiences to witness with Junk Monkey? Mm, I love it is in like that first five, ten minutes when she sees the girl and you don't know as soon as like when you're the protagonist that she's going to be friend yeah. that she meets this girl and it's just like because it's a queer show you know very true to my own experience of seeing that it's like very specific to when I, I meet women she sort of imagines her whole life with this girl just from seeing her and she's like I want to get to know her and she she talks to her for a little bit but she goes on this whole tangent of what their life could be together and it's very fast paced and yeah she gets absolutely lost in the moment and then the moment's interrupted because her boyfriend calls her and then you find so that's that penny kind of drops yeah. but I think it also is just what I love in fringe shows and it's like in any plays and particularly solo shows is that you're learning the protagonist's life through their eyes and they get to divulge information whenever they want to divulge it yeah. and I think that was fun and that I had the idea for that like sort of five minute part of the show and I was like okay I'm gonna try and write a show that sort of follows on from that and what happens next because I just think it'll be fun and <laughs> it's a fun reveal to have yeah and obviously you're juggling many hats because I've not really had somebody on this year's episode talk about producing shows for the Edinburgh Fringe as well so obviously you've got that hat on as well as you're writing the show you're trying to remember the lines obviously you've wrote the show so it might be a little bit easier than a writer giving you a script and you having to remember their lines talk to me a little bit about producing Drunk Monkey then we're a month away from the show at the moment being on at the Edinburgh Fringe. So where is your mind at the moment? You've had time off, you've come back. What have you got to look forward to before Edinburgh arrives? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's a lot of hats. Yeah. And it's also producing. I'm an actor and a writer, like, and I love those both equally. Producing has never been my first choice. And sure. you know, there will come a day at one point in my career where I just could like hand off the reins. I started with my first show last year. I did three seasons of that show in three different places. And I produced the first one just because I'm really blessed. I have a lot of friends that are self-producers and I'm quite a type A personality myself. So I was like, I can, I think I can manage to, producing is a lot of admin, I would say. And so I was able to sort of do all the admin tasks. I did that okay. And now it's just gotten to a point where it's like, I just know that I can self-produce. But yeah. my God, a lot of extra work. When I did Pash last year at Edinburgh Fringe, I'd already done a season of it. So the, so the show was written. Junk Monkey's going to be going right until I get to Edinburgh, like any show that's like, you know, a debut. Trying to juggle a lot of things at once. But I do really thrive in being busy. I think what is great with Edinburgh is, yeah, I made a lot of my best friends last year were also self-producers doing solo shows so it was nice just to meet other people like me to be like my god doesn't this suck won't it be great when we've got like some amazing producer yeah. that can look after us but also I think what's great is like the gorilla feeling of it all especially Twitter because I think anyone going to Edinburgh Fringe I always recommend Twitter I think I made some of my best friends from it last year you make the best connections saw the stagey place interview on Twitter so yeah. there's like great things going on there and I think if I was a creative who my first ever show I had a producer come on board and just do everything for me which is absolutely fine 
I wouldn't have had that same impetus to like watch all of these podcasts and listen yeah. to all these things about Edinburgh and like find out that I needed to get on Twitter and like because of it like I'll do Twitter every night from now on until I get to Edinburgh which yeah. is exhausting but it means you make all of these friends and I think like it's nice to feel so much control over my own work yeah. because you only really get that at a certain point in your career and like the bigger you get once you're getting things on TV and whatever like big professional theatres you, you can't ever have complete control over anything no. so I'm kind of trying to relish in that at the moment and with producing it does get easier you sort of just know little things you have to slot into place but yeah. you have to be a little bit on it I'm not really a natural producer I don't have a great money mindset terrible at maths so that's all this stuff I've got to work on yeah. but yeah it is a lot to lot to juggle and like you say you are producing your own work you know who is going to relate to your own work so you get to be on Twitter and you get to hear like-minded people who are on Twitter and you get to you know share your stories and share your plays I think it's like hugely important to remember that when people are self-producing that it's because you know they can find the right demographic for their shows as well especially because Junk Monkey and I'm sure your past play as well is on for the whole month so you've you're not just trying to sell like the first couple of performances and just hope refuse go well you can't play it safe can you you, you always have to be working and promoting your own show yes that is yeah. that's it in a tea and it's different to other festivals and shorter runs exactly but edinburgh for people that haven't been before and i didn't know this until i went last year but you were selling for that day and that day only. Most of the time, if you're emerging, yes. I didn't realise, I was like, oh God, I've not sold anything for next Tuesday. And you just realise like, I would have days where I'd had zero ticket sales in the morning, but then I'd sell 25 tickets by that night. Yeah. And that was a really good day, but <laughs> it can be that intense. The reason the month feels so exhausting is because you just have to think about that day and you get yeah. to a point where you're like, okay, so well today, I'll wake up tomorrow and just think about tomorrow. Then I'll think about the day after. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm coming up to Edinburgh for the final two weeks, working on a show at Underbelly in Calgate. And uh, I'm working with someone who is also a silent producer, has written the show, is also in the show as well. They were really happy the other day because they did like six like pre-sale tickets. I think it was like the day after the Fringe brochure came out and they were like really happy about it, but they're still really nervous. But I've done Fringe for many years as well, having taken a show up. And I'm also what you've just said that you do have to think about the day-to-day workings of it so for you Olivia coming up to the Edinburgh Fringe this year what are you most excited for for this year's Edinburgh Fringe have you looked through the brochure online or or, you know in person have you seen shows that you're really excited to see obviously you made lots of friends last year through Twitter and through self-producing have you got friends who have got shows up this year I do I have a couple I can recommend I mean like in terms of the general sense what I'm excited for is very much making those connections again I have some friends returning turning and then you know obviously lots I made last year and most like lots of people don't do consecutive fringes no. so I have that weird feeling I can't express it'd be like if all your friends graduated and you would yeah. like <laughs> but then I have to remind myself I didn't know any of those people before I went I think I was maybe one of the only people I knew from Melbourne going last year yeah. now I'm based in London so much more excited to make friends that I'm that are more relevant to my life now because I can yeah. see them like couple of shows off the top of my head which are both friends and both of which I've already seen but I will be seeing again Charlotte Tilly's almost adult she's an example of someone who is an actor and a writer first and foremost but also a natural producer she's just an absolute gun I met her through Twitter last year she's a really dear friend of mine now I adore her and her show is excellent about workplace sexual harassment hmm. and then 
my friend Lou Wall is coming for their first ever Fringe from Australia. Yeah. And they're one of the best writers I know. They're a musical comedian. But just that the level of their writing is so high and their show is called Lou Wall versus the Internet. And okay. it's about jealousy, particularly jealousy between performers. Tale about the person they're the most jealous of and that they stoke the most on the internet and how they deal with that jealousy. So the two, yeah. two I'm really excited to see and I'm excited to see how they do as well because I think they're both going to have great years. Yeah, I know, yeah. And Charlotte's been amazing as well with the Femi Fringe stuff, which I know is also going to be an actual physical brochure this year as well, which is amazing. But we had Charlotte on last year on our first series of the Edinburgh Fringe specials last year on our podcast talking about Almost Adult. I didn't manage to see it. However, this year I'm able to see Almost Adult finally. Oh. Definitely going to get to see it this year well olivia thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today to talk about junk monkey it's at the gilded balloon patahoos at the curry at 5 p.m from the 2nd until the 27th of august with the 6th and the 20th of august your days off what will you be doing on your days off will you be having time away will you be seeing shows what are you thinking i've heard that leave edinburgh if you can like yeah. go go to glasgow <laughs> like go somewhere else i think probably i'll be sleeping a lot and i'm most likely will be like seeing shows that clash with mine yeah if, you can't you know, help it can still... you you literally can't help it <laughs> literally if I'm in the mount- mentally well place probably what I will be doing is leaving the fringe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like last year I didn't even get to go up Arthur's seat I was so yeah. overwhelmed whereas this year I'm like okay you're gonna put in time to just explore little bits of Edinburgh mm. as well and go around I've got a friend in Glasgow so I'll try and get myself away yeah. but it's addictive and you miss people <laughs> I remember when I was at was talking to someone I was like yeah yeah I was referring to the theatre but I was like I'm just gonna go home for a couple of hours and I was like <laughs> I just started referring to the theatre as my home <laughs> yeah it does just take over though doesn't it Edinburgh Fringe is like unlike anything it's like a whole I've described it as like a whole different world almost it's nothing else exists apart from the hub of Edinburgh it's just one of the most incredible feelings in the world I think uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Olivia, again, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Junk Monkey. I'm really excited for the show. I'm hoping that I get to come and see it when I am up in Edinburgh. Olivia, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And there we go. That was Olivia McLeod talking about Junk Monkey. I have my tickets already and incredibly excited to catch this one, just like I am for our third guest today, Johnny Danziger, the director of Money Go Round, a children's show which brings back some familiar characters from our childhood. Hello, Johnny, and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well, thanks. My my voice is still recovering from our Glastonbury run, but I'm doing wonderfully. Yes, Johnny, today we are talking about Money Go Round, which is coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year at the Assembly Rooms in the Ballroom. But as you just said there, you've already started a sort of mini tour with Money Go Round, playing just now at the Glastonbury Festival. What was it like doing the show at Glastonbury? Oh, it was fantastic. It's a very unusual place to, to open our run because it was our first dates for, for this version of the show. But it's a beautiful context. Uh, we were in the kids' field there and they fill it with so many amazing things. Um, it means that you're on this outdoor stage uh, in, in, in a field and behind you, you've got the acoustic stage. So someone like Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze is going to be belting out music over the top of your show. And then yeah. you've got marching bands going past. And, and there's this whole feast of stuff for the for the children, which is really, really beautiful. And it also makes it an absolute trial by fire for getting the show ready in a theatrical context. But children have such a beautiful capacity for imagination. Yeah. And if you put a show in front of them that invites them to be part of a world, 
it doesn't matter what else is going on and they will they will remain sucked in and it was um a beautiful i think testament to, to, to roger's writing the children that we had in the audience sat sort of transfixed by the show for this for this hour despite all of the distractions and in that respect it was a, a very special place for us to, to technically get the show on its feet yeah. um, but also a wonderful place for the cast i mean to be to be there to be part of glastonbury to be performing alongside you know basil brush and bodger badger pop off in the evening to see elton john it's not bad is it so it's yeah we had a lovely time what a lovely weekend it must have been well johnny i know that obviously you've got a mini tour with money go round so you've just been performing at glastonbury you're going to go to jersey very soon and then you're going to be up in edinburgh from the third until the 21st with a few days off in between talk to me a little bit about your involvement then with the show and how it came about that Money Go Round was going to be adapted for the stage. Absolutely. So there's a, there's a really beautiful history to, to this particular show, actually. I was working as the artistic director of the OSO Art Centre in Barnes in southwest yes. London, and it, which is a, lo- a lovely, very, very community-focused place. And it was in the pandemic that I, that I took that role. The theatre was repurposed as a crisis kitchen, cooking meals for those in need, uh, people in economic hardship, NHS workers. And we have uh, a few big local artists who really helped drive the theatre forwards. One of them is, is the poet Roger McGough. And he seen a couple of my shows that I'd done at the theatre. He'd done a few readings of his own for us. And he had written a musical text for Wind in the Willows back in the 80s, which had been on in Broadway. And as many of these stories go because of various complexities uh, financially with putting things on in, in, in New York and and various egos that may have been involved in the project. And I think that really struggled and particularly seeing the the way that that show out there functioned was challenging. So Roger wrote this children's book, Money Go Round, which is all about not being too preoccupied with money and personal financial gain. And it's using the characters from Wind in the Willows from the show that he, he had that experience with in the States to spread this message of put your community first Yes, we, we need to live. The cost of living crisis is a real thing. But we need to uh, look after each other first and foremost and see money as uh, what it is, which is a symbol for the natural debts that we owe to each other from the deeds in society. So wh- while Roger had just written this, um, you know, we were in the pandemics, which is a very important time for that message. He popped by while I was in the middle of a get-in and his neighbours, her TV wasn't working. And so he popped by, he knew I was vaguely technical and said, oh, Johnny, would you mind just popping around the corner, help Patricia, her TV's broken. And so without telling my boss, I totally left the theatre and just gave him a hand. And then he came around the next week and said, look, do you want to direct this show? And because the message is at its heart was all about about community and caring for each other. And so so it all came from the message at the heart of the show. And we did an R&D version of it last year at the OSO, a very, very kind of small version of it that was beautifully received, had some lovely reviews. And that was all done kind of for the local community before we've now expanded it. So right from its conception, it's been about this message of, of community. Yeah. And that's a lovely turn of events. Like you say, like you help someone in the community, you then put on this mini version of the show last year for the community it's got a very community feel and now obviously it's spreading out this year anyway with its mini tour for audiences coming to see the show in edinburgh what can they expect like you say you've got your familiar characters with the wind of the willows so some people might be able to know these characters especially adults who are bringing their children to come and see the show but tell me a little bit then about the actual story of money go round absolutely so it's sort of the wind in the willows on a sugar high you start with lavender mole in 
a treehouse hotel and she's running this hotel and she's struggling to keep it afloat there's not enough business the electricity and the water rates have gone through the roof then mr toad comes along with a shiny gold coin buys her biggest and best room for the week and all's great and she gets this gold coin and she thinks god i can do everything with this i could take my friends to the ritz and buy new glasses or and then realizes that she owes uh, a debt to jan stoke uh, who uh, cleaned the windows for her as a favor and she really feels she should pay her so she gives the coin to Jan and Jan thinks of what she could do with it and then realises she owes a debt to Badger for some paintbrushes and it sort of goes round and round and round the community. And meanwhile, Toad is causing all sorts of chaos. And eventually it works its way all the way back round to Lavender again, who had lent uh, some rooms to uh, Rosie Rabbit for her grandma. It's one of these sort of um, vignette shows where you're going from colourful character to colourful character. There are some beautiful threads that tie it all together. But you're constantly, every couple of minutes, meeting a, a new animal with a new style, with a new yeah. musical style. And we, we include all sorts, uh, like you know, aerial acrobatics. So there are loads and loads of surprises, a bit of puppetry. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's always fresh. And anyone who knows Roger's poetry will know just how funny he is. It's really the delight of using text in creative ways. And that is at the very core of this show. Yeah. And obviously, like you say, that you've got acrobatics, you've got puppetry you've got a new character joining every couple of minutes so it really keeps audiences engaged especially because this is a children's show so you really want to keep children engaged throughout the whole running time johnny tell me a little bit about what you're excited for for this year's edinburgh festival have you got any recommendations have you got the brochure and are you circling the shows that you want to see or are you hoping to just go up and just take every day as it comes Ah, oh, it's a bit of everything always, isn't yeah. it? You know, I've I've always got my acts that I want to see, but you want to keep your ear to the ground and, and find out what the, the next kind of crazy thing is. I love finding the really creative, unusual stuff at the Fringe. To me, that's what it's all about. In particular, there are some fantastic clowns that I know are performing up there. I'm a big fan of Luke Rollison. I know he has got a, a new work in progress show that I think he's doing up there. You know, John Robertson's always up there with his dark room and some Paul Curry. For me, that's what I go for is, is sure. finding the very creative clowning comedy and then I, I keep my ear to the ground for, for what the exciting kind of hot theatre stuff on the street is but everything's at the fringe and that's what's so great about it amazing perfect well Johnny for my final question for this interview do you just want to shout out everybody else that is on the team for money go round from creatives to cast of the show yeah, absolutely. One of the most notable things of the show that just hits you the second you walk into the venue is, is the set. And the designer, Emma Turner, has been with us right the way through. I think when you're making a decision about how to create woodland full of animals, you kind of run into some interesting questions. And uh, we decided that rather than trying to fully dress each of these animals as as their animal you know we wanted to give the actor more freedom and give give the child more freedom to imagine as well so it was all about context with the set and she's created this incredible set that is all about sense of scale so you've got these giant banks of flowers that are about three meters high huge bird box which opens up this is a treehouse hotel you know walter rat's boat is made of a giant folded leaf paintwork is exquisite the construction is exquisite really really builds this world that makes sense my producer co-producer jamie rycroft is an absolute rock uh, he's made this whole thing happen i want to give him a massive massive shout out yeah. he works so hard on, on, on so many things Steve, the composer I haven't mentioned, number of different musical flavours in this show are, are, are beautiful. From the sort of open, gorgeous harmonies of, of the Song of the River through to Toad's Elvis car number, there's something for everyone and, and, and the writing of the music is really, really intelligently done. And our fabulous cast, we've got Gavin Fleming and, and Joanna Clark. We've got Loretta Hope 
who's a fantastic aerial acrobat as well as being a wonderful musical theatre performer. There are some brilliant musicians in the cast as well. Elizabeth Robin, who both acts and plays the accordion. James Dangerfield, who plays the violin and sings as well as acting. And Ben Higgins, who plays the mandolin. Incredibly talented cast and a, and a really, really lovely group of people that we, we've been very lucky to have on board. Ian McFarlane, our costume designer, has been fantastic. Mm. Shout out to my partner, Katie Basterman, for um, facilitating so much of, of this in my personal life as well so a huge shout out to her well johnny thank you so much for coming on to talk about money go round again it's on at the assembly rooms in the ballroom at 11 55 from the 3rd until the 21st of august and i will definitely be making sure to check it out johnny once again thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today thank you so much for having me really appreciate it Johnny Danziger there talking about Money Go Round, playing at the Assembly Rooms Ballroom this August, for all ages alike. We're now moving on to our last interview of today's instalment, and before we get stuck in, I'd love to just thank you, the listener, for tuning in for today's episode, and hope you will join us for the ride this August, as we still have three amazing episodes for release. We end today's episode with writer Martha Watson Allpress, who is bringing one of this year's hotly anticipated shows to the fringe, Lady Dealer, playing at the roundabout at Summer Hall. Hello, Martha, and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm so excited to talk with you because Edinburgh Fringe is one of my favourite things to talk about. And this year, you are the writer of Lady Dealer. Now, people have been recommending your show already without even the show being on, which is amazing (laughs) and must be so lovely for you, Martha. Talk to me about Lady Dealer and the inspiration behind the show. Well, yes, that's very, very, very nice for people people to recommend it I feel like I'm slowly getting to the point where I'm recommending to people so the idea that other people are ahead of me is very very nice yeah but no I'm really excited I'm really excited about it I'm the same as you I like love Edinburgh I know it's got its stuff but I do think it's just such a beautiful playground of like really raw cool people doing interesting work so I'm really excited to be up there yeah going up with Lady Dealer so Lady Dealer is a one-person play about a drug dealer girl called Charlie who experiences a power cut both her phones run out of battery and she just sort of suddenly every all the armor she's clad herself in which is her job she can't access anymore so it's sort of a bit of a spiral for her of who is she if she's not a drug dealer and it's a play about like identity and loneliness and we've just got the most banging team on it with Grace Dixon producing we've got Emily Abu directing we've got Alexa Davies as our performer she's incredible so I'm just yeah very excited for the world to meet it and her the first iteration of it was written in 2021 and I think when I read it back now which I have been doing often for many many redrafts I think it's very clear it's a product of like a lockdown brain it is about isolation and who we are when we're alone and how we make peace with that and clearly like the world was going through it and this sort of collective grief that we don't still really have a a language for so I think it was very inspired by that and feeling of loneliness and a real lack of community but also about like at drama school something I I recognized a lot was the actors that have had the privilege of access to like emotional language and the actors that hadn't and how that affects how you access yourself and what you're feeling and the ease in which some people 
have to their own emotions that other people don't. And I would say Charlie and myself very much exist in the second category. So when you recognise that about yourself, where you go from there, it's been a long old process. It's kind of been weird, weird and lovely writing a play about loneliness as the world has got less lonely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where it, where it all started. Yeah, and obviously, so the show is going to the Edinburgh Fringe this year. It's at Roundabout. It's at 4pm in the afternoon, which sounds like a fantastic slot for it to be on. Martha, <laughs> what are you excited about Edinburgh audiences coming to see the show? I really think, A, we've got some tricks up our sleeve, which I'm really, really, really excited about, but I can't talk about, but I'm yeah. too excited about them. And I desperately want to talk about them. But I am really excited in that I think we're not lying at all with any of the marketing but I really think there's going to be a flip that happens when I think you're going to think the play is one thing and then you're going to realise it's a very, very different thing. And that I find so phenomenally excited and that's being executed. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, obviously it's in the script, but it's yeah. being executed by Emily and like the collaboration of the team that's already happening. I'm so gassed about and I'm really, really excited to see what other people take from it because it is this huge like cauldron of feeling that I struggle to imagine any two people having the same takeaway and reaction to the show, which is just, yeah, I am really excited. I have to tell myself that to talk yeah. myself out of the nerves, <laughs> but I am, I am really excited to see the reaction and to see if it touches a part of people that I think we're all a little bit emotionally raw post COVID yeah. and I think COVID has has changed how we experience theatre and how we experience a collective like an audience essentially yeah. so yeah to see how it lands is 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 really exciting to me would you suggest then if people are listening to this podcast would you suggest that people come into the show blind just in case you know there's anything that could maybe get out about the show you know if you know yeah. would you want people to just be coming in knowing what's on the page what's on the synopsis the blurb and that's it yes I would say come in knowing that it's a one-person play it's about Charlie a female drug dealer having the power cut come in knowing you're going to have a fun hour you're going to be taken care of come in knowing there's no audience participation so there's no need to be scared <laughs> but like just yeah I think come in open and leave open hopefully and yeah it's gonna be great yeah Martha is this <laughs> the first time you'll be up in Edinburgh have you been before I went in the peculiar year the 2021 year I think Fringe was closed entirely in 2020 and then in 2021 it kind of opened at like half capacity or it was a much quieter much more subdued fringe and we took up my first play Patricia Gets Ready and that went up with Pleasance and it was lovely actually I mean everyone was very nice about it and the team were incredible it was playbacks directing we had Kai we had Angie like everyone was just smashing it but also it's I'm uh, half Scottish my family's Scottish and there was something about that fringe that felt like Scotland kind of got its city back for the summer yeah. and like it was the most I got chatting to one of the comedians in the bar and he was like most like Scots I've ever had in a crowd and there was something of it that like having that year off it sort of felt like a, a homecoming so we went up in in 2021 but I've been up not with plays but just to attend when I was a teenager and I love it I love you know the excel spreadsheet of like how you're yes. gonna get from one venue to another like dart across town like just basically like swig a pint on the way and like yeah. buzz and the sort of feverishness around it all I find so exciting so I'm really gassed to get back up there I'm missing the first half of it but yeah. I will show up at the end and whilst everyone else is like crumpling and livers is destroyed I'll be there to carry the torch which is well that's nice. the thing as well because I'm there for the final two weeks as well I've got a show in underbelly so I'm only there for the final two weeks so I'll be like you as well I'll have all the energy <laughs> as everybody else has had the first two weeks and the yeah. and the stress of the previews and stuff like that and I'll be like no it's so much fun I've got two yeah. weeks 
joy now. So Martha, obviously, so you have been up before. So if people are listening to the podcast, whether or not they're coming up as a punter or as a company for the first time, what advice might you be able to give to them? I would say the big advice is don't get swept up in the work of it. Like, obviously it is work, but actually if you if you have a show, your work is an hour to two hours max. Remember that it should be fun. And also remember that like Edinburgh still exists. It's not just, I think it's really important. Like obviously everyone says they're going to do Arthur's Seat. It's okay if you don't do Arthur's right. Seat. Sometimes it's okay if you're like, you're never going to do it. So just admit that you're not going to do it and that's all yeah. right. Take yourself out of the festival. Go sit in a coffee shop for a little bit and don't plan what you're going to see after that coffee shop just like read your book and go lie down on the grass and go like experience edinburgh is a stunning city take the train to glasgow or get out to dundee go to broughty ferry go see the coast i think it's really important if you're there for a chunky stretch as well especially like if you're up for the whole month or two weeks you can't work seven days a week for a month you just can't and so you need to take your days off as days off and make sure that you're enjoying yourself because i think there is a world of edinburgh fringe which is incredibly unenjoyable and i totally get that but you can pick you can choose to sit down and just watch the world go by watch a busker like lovely watch the yeah, it's yeah. wonderful this will be my seventh edinburgh fringe i've no. always <laughs> said that i was going to do arthur's seat and uh, like you've just said there it's okay not to do arthur's seat but yeah. i've said every single year i'm going to do it and then i just I, I don't know what it is i just don't do it don't i think it's the, I, ha- I have done it and okay. i would say it is beautiful and if you can get yourself there it is worth the trip but it's also like it's okay like you're gonna do enough steps do you know what i mean just yeah. up and down that mile anyway you're gonna do enough steps i think if you put that on a list of like i'm going to do after you're making it work like yeah. if you wake up you have the capacity to do it that day stunning go have a picnic yeah. but if you don't like stay on the couch that's fine yeah yeah just yeah. look after yourself because like you say yeah and yeah. is just a beast it's like a whole other world it's, it's, oh, it's madness. so martha for this year's edinburgh fringe what mm. recommendations would you have for shows have you got anything on your list you're there for the final two weeks or mm-hmm. what recommendations have you got for people coming to the edinburgh fringe this year so many so so many obviously come see lady dealer 4 p.m roundabout please and thank you but also kai who produced patricia my first play she is producing also at summer hall for the first two weeks phenomenal piece called who took my malay away i saw it at the vaults this year i just think it's really beautiful it's a really sort of gentle hour about culture and identity and it's just a really lovely way to spend time and i would really recommend that there is a manchester anthem which is going up to the Pleasance, a Tom, the performer in that, Tom Claxton, is outstanding. And it's actually really, really nice to see a play about Manchester that's not set in the 90s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like actually about Manchester now. That's really, and like really lovely. Obviously, I always think the roundabout back to back slaps. Salty Irina, which is Eve's play just before us, um, produced by Broccoli Arts, is going to be something special. But I would also say walk down the strip, whoever gives you the best flyer, go watch that. And you're either going to see something incredible or something god awful but you're gonna have a great time whatever the best flyer go go take yourself there and go see it because no one brings anything they don't care about to the fringe like it's such a mission to get anything to the fringe that i would just say like like it is gonna be brilliant because the people behind it really 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 give a shit enough to take it to the fringe i always think once a week even if you've got like your you know your excel and your book to the nines 
just whoever gives you the best fire that's what you're going to go see yeah well martha thank you so much for coming on to this stage of place once again we've been talking about lady dealer which is at the roundabout at summer hall from the 2nd until the 27th there's a couple of days off so just check when you are coming to see the show and it's at 4 p.m in the afternoon martha thank you so much for joining me today ah, thank you so much that was Martha Watson Allpress there talking about Lady Dealer. Again, another show I have my tickets booked for and incredibly excited to catch, as well as purchasing a Playtext for, as Lady Dealer will be published by Nick Hearn Books and you'll be able to purchase a copy of the book when you go and see the show at the Roundabout at Summer Hall. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. So to Billy, Olivia, Johnny and Martha, I'd love to thank you all so much for coming on to today's podcast to celebrate your shows. And once again, to you, the listener, for tuning in. If you'd like to book for any of the shows featured in today's episode, you could do so by checking out the links in our episode bio. So join us next week when we'll be joined by four more companies who are bringing their shows to Edinburgh. But until then... Make sure you're following us on social media platforms at The Stagey Place, where we'll be posting all things Edinburgh Fringe throughout August, as well as bringing you these episodes every Sunday until the 20th of August. So until next week, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye. <laughs>